It's Justin, the co-founder of the Tennessee Hauler here for another Hauler Facebook Live interview. Today we're going to be joined by Kieran Sripada, who is picking up the torch and running in Tennessee's 7th District against Mark Green, my favorite person. TNHauler.com is the website, at the TN Holler on Twitter and Facebook. We are an independent journalism site. Survive on your monthly donations. Thank you to everybody who has contributed. So donate to us, but also donate to Kieran. Hey, how you doing? So one thing that people may not know that we are basically neighbors. Yeah. So we live in this small village called College Grove. I'd like to think it, it shows that there's a bunch of great people in this neighborhood, but I also wonder whether that's the reason they're going to basically district us out when they can. Before I start talking to you, I want to try a thing here. I'm going to play your video. Family is the foundation of this country. Whether your family is your spouse, children, friends, or neighbors, the sense of community that comes with family is what binds all of us together. Every decision we make is in the best interest of our family, whether we're driving over safe roads and bridges, getting our kids the education and healthcare they deserve, taking care of our veterans, or making sure that the economy works for everyone and not just a few. So why should we have to worry about whether our representative is working as hard as we are to look out for our families? My name is Kieran Sripada, and I'm running for the House of Representatives so that I can bring back a sense of unity to our district and fight for Middle Tennessee. As an educator, I saw the challenges we face in our system and the joy in achieving our dreams. As a civil servant, I supported our men and women in uniform and worked to make the federal government more accountable and transparent. And as a father, I want nothing more than our children to be happy, healthy, and have a promising future. Our government is broken and has been corrupted, and we have leaders who worry more about social media than social policy. We've moved away from reason and sanity and the objective of making government work for everyone. I want to put government back in the hands of people in our community, the way the founders intended. I'll be a representative who isn't going to vote just on party lines and will instead vote for what works for our families. It's time to put country over party and our loved ones over petty politics. As your congressman, I will fight for the 7th District and make sure that our government represents the best of all of us. We've lost our way, and our system is corrupt and only works for a few. But together, we can make sure that our government once again works for all Tennesseans. Join me. Let's rise above the pettiness. Let's rise above the partisan politics. And let's rise above to meet our American ideals, not as Republicans and Democrats, but as one American family. Yeah, that's awesome. First of all, I'm really excited that we just played a video on this thing because I haven't done that yet. So I'm just happy that worked. Tell me a little bit about what your job was in D.C., the Office of Government Accountability, and how you guys battled corruption, which in my opinion is the biggest problem we have. So the Government Accountability Office, first of all, it's some of the the work that I think I might be proudest uh, in my professional life. Organization is a nonpartisan, uh, research-oriented, fact-oriented, it does exist, entity in government. And it serves as a research wing for Congress. So People in Congress, representatives and senators alike, can go to the GAO and say, hey, we want to know the answer to whatever question they have. And GAO will make sure it's a nonpartisan question. Tell me all the ways that Obamacare failed. GAO would look at them and say, we can't. That's not a real question. That's not a fair question. Uh, You could, however, say, please tell me how much premiums went down or up uh, in a certain state or a certain risk district. And they would go ahead and do that. And they would even go ahead and say, you know, was it? Uh, within the the intent of the law and all of that stuff. And so they can give you very good 
reports like that. That is basically how they root out corruption. It's to be the fact service uh, for the American public. Uh, that's that's one way. Another way is they identify cost savings every year, the duplication in programs, you know, programs that repeat themselves, uh, different departments doing the same thing. There's about uh, $250 billion they identify in savings, uh, and they recommend that to the Congress every year to adopt it and, and go forth and, and try to implement those. Um, it's not often that people in Congress go ahead and do that, but it is there. Um, they have oversight authority on a lot of uh, on all executive agencies uh, for the most part, including national security agencies. So they're able to go in and say, you know, what did you do? When did you do it? How did you do it? And who did you do it with? And, and are able to get out all that information, at least on the, in terms of the program. So uh, there's a lot of oversight there. In recent years, they've gotten into sort of helping implement bills. So there was a, a act that I worked on called the Digital Accountability and Transparency Act. Essentially, it was to make government data more transparent to the public and let everyone know where the money is going and how it's being spent. We think this will work or we don't think this will work. Um, and, and here's how you can make it better so that we didn't come in at the back end and say, you should have done this. We're alongside with them saying, do it this way to make it better. So uh, sort of a long version of saying that there's a lot of report oriented things that were something that I love doing. And, and I think it's something that's really important, not just for the people, uh, for the American people at large, but people in Congress, they should really utilize this resource um, because it would probably prevent them from saying half the stuff they like to say. So it sounds like it's along the lines of the Congressional Budget Office and the yep. Office of Government Ethics. It's sort of these watchdogs yep. Yep. that the current administration probably can't stand and is likely hollowed out and filled with political appointees at this point. Uh, yeah, although the GAO does not have political appointments in, in the same sense. So they have a comptroller general that runs it, and his term is about 15 years so once he's in, it's meant to outlast any sort of like political whims that happen at the White House, um, and it's meant to go the distance. The people under it, like most civil servants, are meant are they have to be nonpartisan. Um, you know, they can't. There's, there's something called the Hatch Act that prevents them from getting involved in political activities to a large extent, so that they don't they aren't biased in their work. Uh, and there's a non, number of reviewers. There's a lot of people out there in these organizations that check it. But yeah, the CBO. Uh, Congressional Research Service is another one. Uh, and in fact, I have a, another tie to the Congressional Budget Office. Uh, a gentleman who's who's serving on my dissertation committee actually is the director of the Congressional Budget Office. So um, I, I take that whole nonpartisan fact oriented, you know, numbers approach very seriously when when making uh, my positions known. Well, that's good because you're running against probably the most hyperpartisan guy that exists. I mean, I've been in Tennessee for a few years now. And I thought it was Marsha, but I think Mark Green might have her beat. Um, so what made you decide to do this? I mean, you know, most people probably that follow the holler know that I ran for the seat that you're running for now. And, you know, being upfront, what motivated me was just seeing how completely corrupt Marsha Blackburn was and feeling like somebody needed to run against her. Are you motivated by similar feelings or is it something that you've wanted to do for a long time? No, it, I, I actually did not want to do it for a long time. I thought I'd be in the civil service for a long time. Um, I thought I would be at least on the uh, in, in the government, in the nonpartisan world, just doing the work of implementing laws and making it better for the American people. Um, we when we moved out here, we got to know the, specifically the policies of Mark Green. I mean, you know, you kind of hear about it when you're in government and you generally have an idea of what's going on with, with the different members of Congress. Um, I personally don't believe that, as I said, I, I don't, I think his policies are terrible.
for Tennessee. I don't think they're policies that, first of all, I don't think they're policies that work. I don't think they're policies that people here support um, by and large. Um, I think that they like the idea, um, people who support him, I mean, I think like the idea that he's a Republican, but I've made the argument that, you know, that's not what it used to mean anymore. Uh, Republican classic, as I've heard, I think uh, Bill Maher call it sometimes, is, is, is not the way that the Republican Party is, is run nowadays. And so um, when I look at what they used to stand for was, you know, security, fiscal responsibility, you know, economic viability of policies and, and things like that that you could have debates on. Uh, that's not their providence anymore. That's ours. Um, we have better fiscal policies, and we're also more worried about generally how working families are going to make it uh, day after day, how people are going to have health care, how people are going to be able to drive their kids to school, schools that are good, um, and and have that kind of equal access across the district, across the state, across the country. I don't believe that Mark Green's policies, for that matter, the Republican policies uh, do that. And so that's what kind of got me uh, to say I, I'm going to get off the civil service uh, track and 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 get off the sidelines here and be more active because I think that that's my responsibility to my friends and neighbors, but also my children who you know we're we're in this for the long haul here in Tennessee. Our family's here. We that's why we moved here, and now we want to make it a little better. Young parents running for office, we need to take ownership of this place, and I'm glad to see you doing it. And I completely agree that you know in a vacuum without the letter next to your name, if you just look at what policies both parties support. Generally speaking, the things that we're talking about are things that most people would agree with. But you get out into rural Tennessee, which I know you've spent some time in now, and I spent 16 months in with Ben, who is also your campaign manager, spent a lot of time in the car. Uh, Out there, it's really tough to get people to see anything but the letter next to your name. So I failed. Uh, What what do you think you might be able to, to tell them? to see past that letter, man. It's just not an easy thing to do. Yeah. Um, so first of all, and I'm not just saying this because we're talking or anything like that, uh, but I don't think you failed. I think that there's <laughs> well, a, thank you. I think that there's a, a, an important thing to take from, from your race, uh, a similarly important thing to take from the Bredesen race, which is what happened to that margin that existed in 2016? Well, it shrunk, and that shrunk for a couple of reasons. I think it, part of it was the good work that you did in, in going out and trying to talk to people. Uh, part of it is, is and these are intertwined, demographic changes, the changes in the political environment in Washington, making people want different things. So I don't think we fail. I think anytime we get out there and make people know that we are out there, not just as Democrats, but as people pushing policies that are good for the public, um, I think that we don't fail. I think we're doing what we can. And if you get even more, one more voter, I consider it a success. In the rural areas, you know, um, one of the bigger issues, I think, is not just the R. You know, there is the whole idea that we're going to have to do a lot of work in getting people to look past that letter. But I think people are getting more and more fed up with a lot of gridlock in Washington based on an obstructionist party that has not delivered for them. Um, and I think that we need to get out there and deliver that message and we need to be realistic. If we're going to win over five more votes, that's five more votes in an area that would have never considered voting for us. That's five more Democrats that can then go out there and kind of spread whatever the democratic messages that they believe in, um, to their friends. It's getting out in the community. You know, a lot of the yelling back and forth we have is because we forget when we're on social media doing things like this, commenting online, we can do that really anonymously. When you've got to say it to your neighbor, 
the whole the ball game's different. It's a whole different ball game. We we got to get out there and be and say we're your neighbors, we're your friends, we're your coworkers, so we can have reasonable conversations, which usually lead to more productive conversations about how we vote. It's a long term game. It's not going to happen overnight. It didn't happen overnight in Virginia. It didn't happen overnight uh, for the governor's race in Kentucky, um, but it did happen, and it happens because people spend the time doing it. They've done it for a long time, the Republican Party. You know, Koch brothers pushed a lot of money in for over a decade to basically get lower level races to make it so that people saw the the Republicans out there and, and they were able to control the races. Um, we need to invest that kind of time. It's not going to happen over, overnight. So I don't consider any of these races a failure. Uh, what I consider a failure sometimes in this state is that we've, and I say this full disclosure, living in Williamson County, uh, we, we prioritize Williamson County a lot and we prioritize, uh, Montgomery County after that. And, and we prioritize them for a number of different reasons over the course of our history here. But the big issue is we need to tell people we're not forgetting you. We're going to go out there. We're going to fight for what you need and what, what you want and what you deserve as people in this country, as people who need access to good education and healthcare, as people who want to have a more stable economic system. People who don't want tariffs to dictate whether their entire output of soybeans is going to disappear uh, because the market doesn't exist anymore. And I've heard some farmers say when I meet with them, you know, we've, we've been through a couple bad growing seasons and I can't control the weather, but we can control economic policies. We shouldn't, we shouldn't pile on the farmer if they have a bad growing season. We should be doing the best we can to help them out with that. And we shouldn't be restricting the ways that they can sell their products uh, and, and, and doing so in a way that's basically a political football at this point. These are people's lives. And I think that we've lost touch. Our leaders in Washington, at least, have lost touch with how to talk to them. So that's that's my basic goal. I'm going to go out there. I'm going to hammer this message in as best I can. I'm going to tell them I'm going to fight for them, and I will. Um, we We need to make sure that we're there for each other. We're neighbors. As far as this district goes in terms of uh, distance, and you know this, it's about a three and a half, four hour drive, um, you know, end to end, essentially. Depends um, who's driving. Depends who's driving, yes. <laughs> um, but when we're out there, we need to tell them we're looking out for your interests way out in Hardeman County, the same way we're looking out for your interests in Montgomery County. And we can do that. It shouldn't be one or the other. We can definitely do that. Um, I challenge uh, Dr. Green to come and have a policy debate with me anytime he wants on this. Um, I know you, you, you tried as well, but let's make it about the policies. I'll anytime, any place I'll be there. And, um, and I bet dollars to donuts that I can get him on the fact that we're going to fight harder for the rural areas. We're going to fight harder for the more populous areas too. Have you challenged him publicly or was this the first time you've challenged him? Was this, this breaking news? Time. This is the first time I'm publicly challenging him. Yes, I have said to people before, wow. I would love to have a debate. But yeah, this is the exclusive, I guess. We got the exclusive. That's fantastic. Yeah. Um, yes, just to tell you, first of all, people can comment along with us if anybody has any questions for yeah. Kieran. But along the lines of the debate conversation, yes, I, I went up to Montgomery County. We were actually both in the same place. I saw him. I had a buddy there with me. He was filming. I asked Mark Green to debate. He said, we'll get back to you on that. And I'm still waiting. So I hope that you have a different um, outcome because I think that just knowing you even as briefly as I do, I think you'd handle him well. And, you know, he doesn't want to talk about that stuff. He just wants to rail about socialism 
and Democrats and liberals this and liberals that. He doesn't want to talk about the fact that he helped block Medicaid expansion, which has hurt hundreds of thousands of Tennesseans and led to hospital closures and deaths. He doesn't want to talk about any of the policies that you're talking about that are hurting our farmers. He doesn't want to talk about economics. He doesn't want to talk about the fact that, like you're saying, not every county is Williamson County and Tennessee leads the way in, in poverty and infant mortality rates. We just found out in the budget debate yesterday that because of 52 women dying post part after, after giving birth that mm. lost their 10 care that should have had 10 care, they're now going to try to extend the period where low-income women keep 10 care. That's an admission that not having expanded Medicaid is killing mothers. Yeah. And Mark Green led the fight to not expand Medicaid in Tennessee. That's something that I hope you hang around his neck. And I also, I know you're not going to bring this up because I'm going to flash this right now. You said that you're going to run a, a clean, positive campaign, which yep. I respect, but you know, I'm not running anymore, so I can say whatever I want. Uh, you know, Mark Green jumped in our Facebook comments to call a constituent a liar who was saying that he hasn't shown his discharge papers, which were redacted, to prove that he was honorably discharged. Well, if he's jumping in our Facebook comments to say that, thou doth protest too much, in my opinion. So, I think everybody in this district is well within their rights to demand to see his discharge papers, to know that this guy who is trumpeting his military record and at every chance he gets actually has one to be proud of. I think it's really important for us to see that. So I know you're not going to bring that up. I wanted to bring it up for you. Uh, tell me real quick, what are you hearing from people as you are traveling through the district? What are they most concerned about? Is it still health care? Is it impeachment? What are people thinking about right now? Uh, it's, I, it's more the issues. It's more healthcare. It's more things like, how are they going to, you know, drive on good roads? It's, it's more, how are they going to basically make sure their family has what they need in terms of, of just general day-to-day -day goods and services and, and obviously food to eat and, and the access that their kid, they want for their kids. Uh, it's not the rhetoric in Washington, you know, 24 hour media has really made it really easy to think that everyone's thinking about the same thing that's going on in Washington. And it's just not the case. Uh, when we go out there, you know, we've got huge work to do on the opioid epidemic here in, in, in Tennessee. And, and these are all things that directly affect people on a day to day basis. And these are the things that they want their government, I think, to come in and help with. This is where government exists best. It is to make sure that life uh, can proceed in a good and, and, and productive fashion for anybody that wants it. It's to make sure that people have access to what they need um, to live at least at a basic equitable level. Um, they're not necessarily worried, in, at least in the conversations that I've had, about you know whether Adam Schiff is going to have the next best headline tomorrow. Um, they just want government to work again. And that's the function, I think, of a lot of different people in Washington. Um, and I'll put, put it out there. I mean, it's not it's a lot of Republicans and one Republican specifically um, at the top, but it's not all of them. It's also, you know, exists on our side as well. And, and we need to at least make sure people understand that we're all trying to get back to work. We're all trying to make sure that we're working for the good of the country. Um, so those are the issues I talk about when I get out there. It's also my background. You know, I, I, I worked in policy. I studied policy. I, I this was, uh, in, in college and grad school. And so this is, this is kind of 
where I, I live and breathe, uh, so to speak. And so I would much rather focus on that. And, um, you know, that's going back to what you just said. Yeah. With, with, with Dr. Green, it's, it's an issue of, uh, I'm not about the person, you know, I'm not about to attack anyone personally. I, I don't believe that's productive. I don't believe that's good for our democracy. Um, uh, so I'll keep it strictly to the policies and, and that's where I think that we can win. Well, I used to think that way too when I was running, but now I'm not. <laughs> the, the 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 chains are off, and uh, I have I have been unleashed, and I'm it's liberating. I got to tell you, but if I were sitting where you were sitting, I wouldn't be saying anything like that either. Um, but I do think he should debate you. I think he shouldn't be so scared of debating you, which I believe he is. I think if he actually was proud of the things that he's saying and doing, he wouldn't do it. Then again, you know, he he doesn't. He, he may think he has more to lose than to gain. He's probably right about that. But I think it should be required that candidates for office are required to debate at least once, preferably twice. And uh, this is something that every everybody deserves to hear from the people running to represent them and mm-hmm. not just in these closed settings where they get to give their stump speeches. So you'll, you'll come across him because you guys will go to, to the same places. And I, I think you should bring it up then. And I think you should hammer him with that over and over again, that you're ready to debate and he's running from it and you know people need to know that he's running because he is um all right well i don't want to keep you forever just um as sort of like a a wrap up here uh tell me you know what what should people look for from you like if you're if you're like what's what what do you tell people about yourself when you just meet them how do you kind of summarize why they should support you for congress i know i got that all the time why should i vote for you yeah so i tell them I'll tell you and, and anyone watching the same thing. Look, I'm, I think, one of the, uh, and I've not looked through every candidate's page, but one of the few candidates that's got issue positions up on anything I can think of. And the reason they're out there is to show people that I have a stance, but it's also to tell people that this is the start of the conversation. That's what's been lost in our political environment here, is that it used to be people could get together talk about their points of view and come to a common understanding of how to move forward. That's what I want to bring back here. It's that, uh, I've said this before, the my way or highway attitude, it is an utterly useless attitude. It does not get us anywhere. It entrenches us deeper into the beliefs that we are already coming at, uh, coming from. So we need to make sure that we can talk to each other. We need to make sure we understand what our positions are very clearly. Um, and it's also because I didn't want to go out there and have someone say, well, you're just saying this now because you're here in this county, in you know McNary County or, or in Montgomery County or wherever. No, I've been saying this since we started this campaign and it's right there in writing if you wanna look it up. Um, so come talk to me, tell me why you might agree, tell me why you might disagree and let's see if we can do something about that. That is the general attitude that we should be working with, not just as candidates, but as legislators. So I tell them civility, respect, accountability and transparency. These are four pillars that I strongly believe in uh, when, when you're, when you're representing your district. Um, and from there, I think we can get through anything. Uh, I firmly believe that. And we did for a long time. Um, there was a long time between the civil war and where we are now in which we had many, many years where people worked across the aisle to do things, uh, together. I recently, uh, tweeted out a picture of, uh, president Obama and John Boehner, which was taken from an article in which John Boehner admitted to going to the white house secretly so that he could work through problems with the president. Um, because he knew both sides would be upset if it was an open meeting. Tip O'Neill, Ronald Reagan, I bring up a lot because that's my, my parents came to this country from India 
Uh, I think that was one of the first races my dad was able to vote for was the Reagan 80 presidential election. Um, you know, fast forward 20 years, my first election was Bush v. Gore. Um, so we, we have we have all of these things happening essentially within a generation where we've lost a lot of that. So let's go out there and tell people they're not the enemy just because they voted for something different doesn't mean they're necessarily stupid or ignorant or anything like that that we hear up on TV. It doesn't make anybody a socialist or a fascist. Um, I've taught political science before. I don't think they use the words right anyway. But, you know, we need to get out there and basically say, look, we're your friends, we're your neighbors, and most importantly, we're going to fight for the community that we live in and you live in and that we all have to live in for many years to come to make it better. I think that's really well said. You mentioned uh, your parents are from India. Tell me a little bit about that real quick. Your your first generation? Yeah, uh, I was born in, well, I was born in this country in, in 1981. But um, my dad came uh, 50 years ago now for the first time, or 51 years ago, as I recall, um, to do work. He was working with the Indian government. Uh, he's, he's a nuclear engineer. He came over to do uh, an exchange, essentially, between the two governments, uh, between scientists. And then uh, he moved here in 1972 to start his PhD and and never left, worked for the federal government on nuclear materials, nuclear reactors, things of that nature. Uh, a lot of stuff that, you know, was in the security realm and so classified, but generally that's his field. And, and he, he loved it. He stayed in that career. He's one of those generations that, you know, had that career for about 30 years. And when he retired from the government, he went to go teaching nuclear engineering uh, at, at an engineering school. So um, that's, he moved here for that opportunity. He stayed because he wanted us to have that opportunity. My mother came after she got married to my father. It was 1979. Um, and it was an interesting time because, you know, she moved here after getting married so they could have start their life together uh, in this country. And they always wanted to come here. Um, but she was also coming off of uh, an interesting time in India where they had this essentially like a state of emergency, they called it, but it was basically a dictatorship, uh, for lack of a better term. Um, and a lot of socialist policies in traditional sense. Um, and so when they come here, uh, and years later, they're hearing all these charges of socialism and you know, dictatorship and all that, I think it kind of takes them back. And, and they're like, we, we, we left that and we don't see that here yet. And I mean, the, this is one of the important things. They stayed here because of the way this country functions, like many other immigrants who came here. Uh, my grandfather, my mother's father, was most proud of the fact that his three daughters had, uh, all his children, had settled in the United States and were doing what they can to, to, to give their children a better life. And now we're do, trying to do the same thing as well for our kids. So um, my parents are, you know, they came here, they're staying here, they, they love it here. And, and, and that informed a lot of my perspective, I think, of growing up as to how much we have to appreciate here and how much we have to fight to keep it because it doesn't exist in other countries like it does here. Um, and it could we could lose it very quickly if we don't fight for it. So that's another reason to get involved, stay active, and 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 engage. Engage if it's just one more person, just engage and 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 have that conversation. Couldn't agree more. Uh, I come from immigrants. Also, my grandparents came over here after the Holocaust. We're a nation of immigrants, and the vilification of immigrants is one of the ugliest things that's been happening yeah. recently. I wanted to ask you about um, Dr. Manny Sethi who is running for Senate here, mm -hmm. I believe is also first generation. Yeah. I, is he Indian? I'm not sure if I, he is. I he's, believe so. I believe he's okay. of Indian origin. Like his parents are from India, but I'm not. Okay. Um, and he just ran a campaign ad 
that was called Invasion. We're going to have an illegal immigrant invasion if Republicans don't win in 2020. The Democrats are going to give this country away. As a first-generation descendant of immigrants yourself, what do you think of someone who benefited from immigration vilifying immigrants that way? I know he would say, well, I'm only vilifying illegal or undocumented immigrants, but you know, generally speaking, everybody gets hurt by that kind of rhetoric. Vilifying anyone is really not going to get you anywhere uh, in terms of fixing an immigration system or making it better. As far as I understand it, his parents came to this country similar uh, to how my parents came to this country. Um, they settled, they worked hard, they did well, they provided for their kids, and 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 he benefited from that. Um, what we also have to understand is not everyone, and this is what I brought up when my mother came, not everyone comes for the educational opportunity. They don't always come for the job. They come sometimes because they're trying to get away from a repressive regime or political persecution or religious persecution, which this country was essentially built on to, to escape that. Um, we cannot penalize those people who are coming here for a better life. And to sit here and use that rhetoric is not just unproductive. It is irresponsible. Um, it stokes fears and, and, and incites people in ways that we do not want to do. Well, I completely agree with you. And I, I would take it a step further and say he should be ashamed of himself. And, uh, you know, it's just tough that there are so few moderate options on the other side of the aisle these days that everybody's just in such a race to show how much they can't stand immigrants and, you know, how adamantly, fervently right-wing and Trumpian they are. And, you know, I just hope that they get the beating they deserve in the upcoming election so that Republicans can have their party back. Actual Republicans can have their party back. And, and there I are think they're, they are, they exist. Yeah. You know, I talk to them all the time. I think generally speaking, they're kind of afraid to speak right now because they get shouted down and they act like we're the ones with the, you know, litmus test. And we're the ones that have the small tent that won't let anybody disagree. But I find that to be completely the opposite. I, yeah. I find that, you know, on our side of the aisle, we have debates and we argue about things and we believe in things, but, you know, we're not all falling in line to defend the worst impulses of not only our party, but the guy at the top. And, you know, I, I just, I hope that justice, what is it? History bends toward the arc of, what is it? Ar yeah, arc of justice. Like history bends towards the arc of justice, I think. Something like that. I mean, we might yeah. have those words backwards, but <laughs> at the end of the day, I just feel like, you know, if the world is just, that there's a reckoning coming. And I, I think we saw some of it recently uh, in Kentucky and Virginia and in 2018. And I'm, I'm hopeful that it can carry you over the top. And, you know, I think that you never know with, with the turnout that's coming. And I feel like everybody who ever thought about voting is going to vote in this upcoming election. You never know how big that wave is going to be. So yeah. Trump, Trump won, sorry, I'll let you talk in a second, but Trump won Kentucky by something like 40 points. Yeah. And Bevin just lost. So you never know about the swing. Go ahead. Yeah. No, I was going to say, yeah, I completely agree. Um, it's it's important to tell people um, who are watching or who might watch this later, especially those of you who are Republican uh, in the sense that, you know, family members of mine were voted Republican in the 80s and, and, and early 90s and, um, and a little bit here and there. But after, but the point is that we should be reaching out to them. Not to say, hey, come over to our tent if they don't want to, but to say the whole point of having two different views is so we get to a better position, so that we represent everyone in this district. 
Um, I read something somewhere uh, that was something like, uh, like 12% of the, the, the people basically control the conversation. They're basically the fringes on both sides dictating what goes on Fox and NBC or MSNBC rather and, and, and everything. Um, I'm not trying to make an equivalence there. I'm, I'm just saying that that means 88% of the people are generally reasonable people to talk to and, and work with. That includes Republicans. So stop being fearful of, of, of what your party has become and try to reclaim what your party was. And that's a party that we can work with. That's a party we can talk to and say, let's move on. That's a party that, to a large degree, we have policies that, that in general can align and work towards a more, uh, more progress as we go uh, forth in the future. So um, that's what I'm hoping to do as we get out there. You know, previous question as to what you, how do you talk to rural voters? I'm hoping that there's some of them out there too, and that we can get those people to talk about things with us. Again, you don't have to agree 100% of the time. You just have to agree to have the conversation and to work together. That's really well said, man. Thank you for doing this. Uh, Thank you. Good luck with everything. And Thanks. you know, tell people where they can help you and what they can do. Yeah, so uh, there's two major ways. Uh, if you go to our website, which is on the screen, I see, uh, kieranforcongress.com, uh, there's a link there to get involved, which uh, there's a good questionnaire there of, of all the different ways that you might be able to help, whether it's coming out and canvassing with us, whether it's hosting a meet and greet, all of that is up there. We'd love to have your, uh, you guys come in and, and, and let us know how you want to get involved. There's also a section there as to what's the most important issue to you. Uh, and that's a way to basically keep the pulse, um, uh, on what's, what's happening and, and, and trending in terms of, of the concerns in the district. Um, and obviously the other way is. Uh, in terms of donations, and we're try we're not taking corporate PAC money. We're trying to basically make this about uh, the people in this district, so grassroots movement. So we're not asking for super high dollar money uh, from individuals. So if you'd like to give it, that's fine. We're actually hoping for everyone to pitch in about ten bucks um, because that's what's going to show everyone that we've got the numbers behind us and that money will come naturally if the numbers are there i will go there and donate i encourage everybody to also kieran good luck to you and mark thank green you. if you're listening debate this guy stop running <laughs> thank you kieran take care thanks friend. a lot